Welcome to our services this evening. Uh, we'll begin tonight singing hymn number 119. You're going to need your songbooks, uh, if you don't mind. Need your songbooks for tonight. 119. <clears throat> we'll sing the first, second, and fourth verse. Day is dying in the west. Heaven is touching earth with rest. Wave and worship on. Our next hymn, 789, 789, Work for the Night is Coming. 789. And after this hymn, Brother Mike Williams will have our scripture and prayer. Work for the night is coming when 
Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come to you at this time thanking you for the many blessings that you give us each and every day. We are especially thankful, Father, for the time that we're able to come here this evening, for the health that you've blessed us with that allows us to be here. Thank you for this church family, Father, and thank you for this morning that we are able to uh, surround your table to remember your son Jesus and the sacrifice on that cross. And we thank you for Jesus and, and for your son and for the hope that we do have because of his sacrifice. And Father, we just ask your blessings upon us this evening that um, everything that we do this evening will please you and be in accordance with your will. And we just thank you for the opportunity to, to worship you, Father. And, and Father, we are mindful of those that are unable to be here this evening, those that are battling various illnesses and issues and we pray for each one of them those that were mentioned this morning those that are on our prayer list pray that you will be with each one that you will heal them and watch over them and be with our shut-ins father and pray for them as they deal with various issues and just pray that um, we remember them and and encourage them father we uh, also know that we've fail you so many times, Lord, and, uh, and we ask your forgiveness of our sins and pray that we do better and pray that uh, you be with Rick this evening as he brings us the lesson and pray that we're good listeners and we'll take what he delivers and, and process that and, and use that to be better Christians for you, to reach out to the community around us and, and be a light in this community and, and beyond, Father. Thank you again for all that you do for us, and it's through Jesus we pray these things. Amen. Let's please stand. We'll sing hymn number 716. <clears throat> 716, Walking Alone at Eve. <clears throat> Sure, in a safe home. 
The invitation hymn this evening will be number 95. Burdens are lifted at Calvary, number 95. Brother Rick, this time. ready when the time comes. Don't have a screen. Over the past uh, seven decades, um, whether as a child or as an adult, um, I have attended, counted it up this afternoon, somewhere in the area of 11 different congregations. And uh, some of those congregations had elders and some of them uh, did not. <clears throat> I think we all know that the design uh, by God in his local churches is to have elders. Apostles went around appointing elders. They wrote to elders. They encouraged elders. They corrected elders. Elders are, as Chris said in class this morning, God's design for uh, leadership uh, in the church. Um, and whether or not I had been an elder for the last nine months or so, uh, I would have said the same thing that I'm saying tonight. I'm not saying anything about elders tonight. Uh, born out of my experience as an elder. Well, maybe some. There's some influence there. Um, I want to talk to you tonight is the practical side of, of church leadership. What an elder is and what an elder isn't. Um, and just, just go through some things to refresh in our minds um, uh, what the job of an elder is. Uh, what the elder is expected, the elders are expected to do in the local congregation. We know that in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, we're not going to go through these because we've been through these um, within the last year, to make sure that we are aware of what God expects of those individuals who could be considered for becoming an elder. And as you look at that list, uh, you see a number of items. I think there are 23 of them there. Um, to 
just glance over that just to refresh your memories a bit. We're not going through those in, in detail, but, but here is something I ran across, um, a way to categorize them. And that, that, that's nothing new. I think probably preachers who have talked about um, those characteristics and, and, and preferences uh, for, those, for elders are, uh, you've seen something maybe like this before. There are characteristics or things about their character, their moral and their spiritual character requirements in that list that you just saw. There are family life um, situations, marital status and so forth that are in there. How you work with your children, because working with your children in a household situation is somewhat analogous to leading a group of adults. If you can't do that, then the question is, can you do this? And so those concerns are in there as well. Self-control, personal self-control. Relational skills with other individuals. To be hospitable and loving. And to have personal integrity. I think that's Nestle. Oh, one more. Spiritual maturity. So those are just some classifications of that list that you saw on the previous slide. God wants his leaders in the local church to have certain capacities, certain abilities, certain experiences in order to be able to effectively lead uh, the local congregation. Let me say up front, just having those doesn't automatically make you a good leader. But you at least have to have those uh, characteristics, those qualifications, those personal traits, those experiences uh, of leading a family before uh, you can serve as an elder. So why did he have qualifications in the first place? Um, First of all, let me say there are of the 11 congregations that I believe I have been a member or attended as a child, probably about half of them had elders and half of them did not. Most of the congregations, especially early in my life, were very small congregations. And for one reason or another, uh, sometimes small congregations may be more reluctant to um, appoint elders. And it could be that simply no one qualifies. It could be that the expectation for these qualifications are too high. And when I say, are these minimal qualifications? I would say yes. You need to qualify in all of these areas at least minimally. Do you have to be average? Do you have to be great? I'm afraid sometimes we want the character, uh, characteristics of our elders, we want them to reflect those in pretty high levels. Well, yes, we want them to. But I don't think that it's required that you do. You just simply have to have those qualifications and those characteristics. And I'm afraid sometimes we don't appoint elders when we don't think the person is really good in those areas or good enough in those areas. Maybe just my own, my own opinion. So why would he have qualifications in the first place? Well, of course, he wants to protect his local bodies of members local congregations. He wants to protect them from those who would not be good candidates for elders, those who would be unfit in some way, and he doesn't want them in leadership roles or positions where they have the opportunity to influence that congregation. So with that group of inspired uh, listings of qualifications, you get a pretty broad um, 
spectrum of a variety of different kinds of skills, abilities, and, and experience. And so he wants those individuals who are going to lead to be leading from something other than just, uh, well, I want to be an elder. He doesn't want the immoral, he doesn't want the unfaithful, the immature, the hot-tempered, or whatever to be leading his people. Those are not the kind of people who set the tone for the congregation and, if uh, possible, the example for the congregation. An unfit elder is a major problem. It's much easier not to appoint someone an elder than it is to appoint them an elder and find out later they are unfit. Uh, we have an example. I'll point to it in a second. Um, 1 Timothy 2, I believe, um, or 5, 19 and 20, where there was an elder who had been caught in a sin. And I'll also say in just a few minutes, all elders sin. No one's perfect. But this was a situation that they had, had caught an elder in a sin and had to do something about it. Well, we don't have the apostles around anymore to come around and say, you're no longer fit to be an elder or tell them what to do about that situation. An elder who is in charge of a congregation in collaboration with at least one other elder, if unfit for some reason or deemed or found to be unfit, there's no, uh, there's no uh, protocol for getting rid of that elder or having that elder step down. So it's much easier that if there's a question at all to not appoint the elder than to appoint and then later find out that you've got a problem. These qualifications that we possess supposedly help improve the elder's moral and spiritual character. None of us is per perfect. Each of us continues to grow in these areas, but serving in that leadership role enhances our ability to grow in those areas. Qualifications don't automatically translate into performance. You can have all those qualifications and still not be a good leader. It's possible. There's a learning curve over time, and it's a lifetime improvement effort to aspire to improve in all of these categories, those categories that are possible to improve in. And it helps improve uh, an elder's shepherding or overseeing uh, skills as he moves on through his experience. So there's a focus, or should be a focus, on our translating our abilities that we had when we were appointed into uh, productivity into a performance that illustrates that these qualifications were indeed met and that we exhibit these qualifications in a manner before those um, with whom we work. Elders work with people. They work over people because they are overseers. They are shepherds, pastors, uh, bishops, overseers, and I think there's a fifth one that's not coming to mind right now. But our job is to oversee the church there, and we'll talk more about what some of those specific responsibilities are. But we work with people. We work over people, and we work through people. Um, we don't do all the work. Thankfully, we have a, a group of deacons here, seven men who serve um, to help us do our job, take responsibility for maybe carrying out some of the decisions we made so that we can go make more decisions that need to be made. That's what a deacon does. A deacon is a, is a Greek word, uh, is a force server. And uh, in Acts the sixth chapter, we have what we think is the first appointment of deacons. 
um, when the apostles were too burdened with what they were doing and the uh, Hellenistic um, women were not being fed, the widows were not being fed. It was brought to their attention. They appointed some deacons to take care of that so they could work on prayer and preaching and doing the things that apostles were supposed to be doing in Jerusalem at that time. But we also work with the people within the congregation. We work through you to make this congregation what it can be um, that reaches potential um, in whatever way you might be uh, focused. As elders, uh, as you know, we just have appointed three uh, new elders within the last uh, eight or nine months or so. And prior to that, uh, the original three. Um, anytime you start working together um, with people that you haven't worked closely with in a relationship like that, you, you're going to ha- there's going to be a certain um, time period where, where you learn to work together effectively. Any team has that problem, and that's what um, an eldership is. It's a team of individuals and a group of individuals that is to lead the congregation. So there's, uh, it's not like we're jockeying for position or power or anything like that. We just need, we learn how each other think, how each other respond, how each other communicates, and so forth. So there is a, there is a learning process that goes on. And we hope that that doesn't take too long so that we can be more efficient and focused on, on what our job is. So we need to learn to work with one another. Sometimes you have elders in a, in a group that have personality conflicts, and it, it makes for a bad, uh, bad situation. We work, learn to work with the deacons as well. We're finding out about them as well and they about us. We're working with, through, and over our members in the congregation. The preacher or evangelist, if you want to call him that, the staff um, that, that support the work we do back in the office and elsewhere. We also have a responsibility to, to, to work with the weak. Those individuals who... Um, are maybe physically weak, but I think this is far more importantly pointing at those individuals who um, are not as strong uh, and consistent um, and persistent as they should be. But you have also this category, those that are not weak, those that have, are wayward. They still consider themselves a member of the congregation, or we would have no oversight over them, but we haven't seen them in, in a while. And so... It is our job to make sure that we work with each one of these groups to make it as good as it can be for us to be one of God's churches that he is proud of so that he won't threaten to come and remove our candlestick like he did in some of those churches in Revelation, the second and third chapters. So several groups of individuals that we have to work with, over, and and through. So what an elder is should be an effective leader. As we said, those qualifications should provide um, and produce a performance that is at least acceptable, and we hope um, somewhere between acceptable and exemplary. There's a refinement process over time, as we said, of of that leadership. And qualifications aside, once those qualifications have been met, we have to realize that elders are human beings. And we are not perfect, and you know that. I don't even have to tell you that. But we are, are sinners with frailties. And that uh, situation in 1 Timothy 5, 19 and 20 is an example of an elder in the uh, first century church there that was 
caught doing something, was doing something that, that I don't think we know what it was. It just was, was caught in a sin or a trespass. And so they had to deal with that at that point. And so uh, elders are not like anyone else. They are subject to sin. They do sin. And from time to time, that sin has to be, uh, has to be confronted. The individual should desire the work, should not feel compelled to serve if the desire is not there. It's a burden. It's a responsibility. You take on a whole um, new perspective for the individuals in the congregation and for the role that you are, are getting ready to uh, perform. And it, it, is a, it is a burden. It's a responsibility. But if you coerce somebody into it or make them feel bad because they're not an elder, that's the wrong reason. The person, it says, in, the, in that list of, of uh, qualifications up front, should desire the position. And an individual should have no, have no ulterior motives. Filthy lucre, I think, is the uh, word, the King James Version, or personal gain. You shouldn't have motivations other than to do what we are saying that elders should be and do up here. There shouldn't be any side issues. There shouldn't be any axes to grind or uh, you know, money to make or position or power or anything like that. That's not what eldership is about. You're charged with the purity of the group and helping others get to heaven. That purity of the, of the group is, is, is illustrated in no better place than in uh, 1 Corinthians 5, where he talks, uh, Paul talks about one who has his, his father's wife as a, as a spouse. And I don't know all of the details there, but Paul says, not even the Gentiles go there. And we know what the Gentiles, the pagans, are like. He says, they don't even do that. So he says, take care of this situation or I'll come and take care of it myself. And he says, get rid of that person because the influence that that person has within the congregation can spread. The purity of the church is important to maintain. And so we must identify sin within the group and take care of it, address it, or error. Our goal is to help all of us get to heaven. But now that we are elders, we have the additional responsibility of helping others, an expected and required by Scripture responsibility to help others get to heaven. It says that if we do the job well, that we're worth double honor. I don't know if that's uh, here on earth or in heaven or wherever that is. And it, then it says especially in the areas of teaching and preaching. So uh, what does that look like? A good elder. A good elder has the purity of the group as, as his true north. Um, as we just said, the purity of the congregation is important because 1 Corinthians 5 tells us that a little bit of leaven leavens the whole lump. If you don't correct error and sin when it's present in your, uh, when it's present within the, within the group, then the rest of the people around see that and say, oh, well, it must be okay to sin and be a part of this group. I'll go over here and do that. Or maybe even encourage them to do the same kind of sin. Or maybe think nothing's going to happen to them if they do. Okay? So, our goal as elders 
and it should be as with any group of elders, is to make sure that the group is as sound as it can be in the doctrine of Christ and in the gospel, and that we maintain the, the group, um, I say purity. We're not pure. We're not, none of us is, is totally pure, but it's that, it's that group health that we're talking about, the group spiritual health. Maybe that's a better term for it. Titus 1.9 says about the elders there, because that's one of the listings here of that, of that list that we first looked at, holding fast the faithful word which is in accordance with the teaching that he, the elder, may be able to both exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. So it's our job to make sure that when error comes in, we have to confront it, we have to work against it, and we have to try to remove it from our midst. And then we just said a while ago, 1 Corinthians 5, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Leadership can either be reactive or proactive, and I think that applies here in the body of Christ as well. Reactive, you just coast along until something happens. Okay, well, well, let's go over here and work on that problem now. And that's an okay way to work because you're addressing ills that arise. Proactive suggests an, an, um, a little more on the watch type thing. Be on the lookout for something rather than just let it jump up and surprise you. And also this idea of solving problems before they have a chance to grow. Um, you don't just stand there, you do something and you're judicious about it and you take action. You all know as, as, a, as a, an adult, working in organizations, working in families, whatever the situation is, that problems generally don't disappear by ignoring them. In fact, they tend to do just the opposite. They tend to grow fester. And it makes it more difficult to address it at that point than if you had been proactive early on. <laughs> Zealous for the souls under their charge. We have to have a mindset that every soul in this, in this congregation under our oversight is extremely, extremely valuable and that we will go out of our way to make sure and do what we can to make sure that those who might be weakening to try to build them up so that their souls will not be in danger. Zealous for such. An intense care and concern, however, can come across as being nosy. Um, the last congregation where Karen and I attended in uh, Bowling Green, Kentucky, uh, the elders uh, had decided they were going to take uh, attendance every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, and every Wednesday night. And I can't remember whether they did anything with that. Um, I don't think in a public fashion. They may have used it in a private fashion. But what they wanted to do, I am sure, is make sure that if someone had not shown up for the last two or three weeks, that we need to check on them. Something's wrong. These people are normally regular. They encouraged us. If we were going out of town, we're going to miss, let them know. Um, and it's not a bad thing. But I'm sure that some would think, whoa, that's way over the top. If we're concerned for your souls, it's our job to be concerned about you and the strength that you're exhibiting um, on God's behalf. 
The elder's job description is to be nosy in the interest of souls. 1 Peter 5, 2 says, Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight according to the will of God. Hebrews 13 says, Obey your elder leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. We will give an account for how we supervised this congregation and how we attended to your souls and how we treated your souls as being extremely, extremely important and valuable. Yes, I want you as my elder, but stay out of my business. You, you can't have both of those. And I think we all would be better off if we took a step back and said, do your job, elders. Matthew 7, 1 and 2, people often throw this uh, phrase at us and you can't tell me that, that, uh, that I'm not following the Bible. You're not supposed to judge. Matthew 7, 1 and 2 tells you that you can't judge. And that may be the only verse that they've ever memorized in the Bible. But they're able to use it to throw it at other people when they're trying to tell them that they are in the wrong scripturally. If you read the rest of Matthew 7, we are, you, we are told you have to judge in order to determine whether or not someone is right or wrong or good or bad. You, you judge the tree by the fruit it bears. That's judging. And he's telling us to identify those individuals. So that does not mean what that means, or does not mean what they say that means. And that's another sermon. What an elder is not. It's not an all-wise, autocratic, pompous demigod who knows it all. We don't. We're a group of Christians working together with some basic qualifications operating on behalf of the souls of the individual in the group. It's not an all-seeing superman endowed with inspiration. We're guided by the same, the same Bible that you are. It's, one, it's not one who is a micromanager but a delegator to others. Maybe you have worked for somebody who is a micromanager may even delegate something to you and then come and stand over your shoulder to make sure you're doing it right. We shouldn't have to be a micromanager. We should have all of us to the best of our ability through the things that we do, through the preaching and through, through the teaching and classes and so forth, have people shored up, have people edified and built up to the, to the point where they don't need a lot of close supervision. Although, that's our job if it's necessary. One who has all the answers, or even the best answers. Let me run through these, this one. One who refuses to listen to the advice of others. One who is out of touch with congregational needs. And I, I put Acts 6 in there again. I don't know if the apostles were aware of the fact that those Hellenistic uh, widows were not being fed. It was brought to their attention. They addressed it by appointing these, these seven individuals uh, and took care of it so they could get back to the more important business at hand for the apostles. So the point is you need to be in touch with congregational uh, needs. We need to listen to those who have brains and experience just like we do and not be one who think you, ha has, you have all the answers. We sent out a survey back late fall, I think early, early spring, maybe midwinter, middle of winter, and ask for your thoughts on things. What are we doing well? What do we need to do better? Uh, how can we uh, do a better job as elders? You know, uh, things like that. Uh, topics that you want to hear sermons on. And we got back one of those 
uh, surveys, and uh, the person kind of chided us for asking for this information and said, y'all are the leaders, y'all decide, which can be done, I'm sure is done in a lot of places. But if you don't tap into the thinking and the minds and the experience and, and others around you, um, then you're overlooking a lot of help that you could get. Yes, we still make the decisions for the congregation, but we listen to, to the people that we have uh, within the congregation. And I think we'd be fools um, not to. So we take your input seriously, and we have already um, in, uh, put into action some things that have been suggested on those surveys. We take that very seriously. So, in summary, elders need to be committed to the Lord. Elders' basic job is to shepherd the flock. Make sure that that flock is as, as grounded as it can be in God's word and is on its way to heaven. Each of us is on his or her way to heaven. Lead willingly and not by compulsion. We teach and preach. That's that double honor was worthy, especially if we do those. We care for the church of God. We watch over the souls because we're going to have to give an account. It says we will be held accountable for how we carried out our work. All of us are going to be held accountable. You're going to be accountable for your soul. You may be accountable for your family's soul if you didn't display good oversight and setting a good example for them. But elders have are going to be held accountable for how they did their job with a large group of people. And that's daunting. And we should live as examples. Not only possess those characteristics, but live those characteristics on a day-to-day -day basis before others. And we provide sound instruction and doctrine on doctrine within the group. And we rebuke those who come in and contradict what we know to be God's word. It's an extremely serious undertaking. There's nothing more serious than the salvation of our souls. The question is, how seriously do we take that charge? I think we do. I know we do. We need your help in doing that. What are we willing to do to make sure that, that we and others go to heaven? How willing are you to listen? You, if we come to you with a concern. And we have to understand our role, its importance, and its difficulty. So that's just a little review of uh, the eldership and uh, what that's all about. Um, nothing we've said tonight has any bearing on or would uh, might probably not influence anyone in particular to uh, come forward with an issue, uh, repent of sins, uh, public sins that may be, uh, need to be acknowledged of some sort. Um, if that is the case, we'd love to sit down and pray with you and, and attempt, attempt to strengthen you so that you might not fall into those temptations again if you've never become a Christian. We haven't talked anything tonight about that, but you've heard that plenty of times up here, and we'd be happy to uh, take your confession of faith and bury you in the waters of baptism. So if you're subject to the invitation, come forward now as we stand and sing.
burdens are lifted at Calvary. Jesus is there Good evening, church family. A couple announcements before we are dismissed. As a reminder that uh, tomorrow we will be taking a church bus to Krispy Kreme. Uh, anybody's welcome to come to that. That's at 6 o'clock. Also, this Wednesday, Stepping Stone Supper at 5.30. And then uh, Saturday on the, uh, September 10th, we'll be heading to Carter Caves. Uh, the bus will leave at 12.30. Um, if you can help out to cut grass in the month of September... Um, there's a sign-up sheet on the foyer board. Please sign up uh, to let us know uh, that you're cutting grass this month. Um, also, remember continue to keep uh, Lisa Basson in your prayers. Um, also, Jerry Fry in your prayers. Kathy Walls, Jennifer Baker, Jim Haney, Janie and Glenn Judge, and Vicki Bowen, and so many others. Um, reason why Chris isn't here, um, Ethan is in the hospital. He's on a respiratory machine. Um, uh, so remember to keep Ethan uh, and the French family in your prayers at this time as well. Um, if you had not had the opportunity to take the Lord's Supper, it has been, pre been prepared in the conference room. You may leave and do that now. We'll sing one more song and be dismissed in prayer. Please turn to hymn number 76, Blessed Be the Tie. 76, we'll sing the first four verses, and then Brother Dickie Parker will have a prayer. <coughs> Blessed be the time Yeah. 
Let's pray. Our gracious and heavenly Father, we are so thankful for this day, this opportunity that we've had to hear your words and sing songs of praise to you, Father. Father, hope, we hope that everything said and done here was pleasing to thy sight. Father, we ask that you be with those that are sick, those that are shut in, those that need you, Father. We ask that you be with them and bless them. Father, we ask that you be with Ethan uh, this evening and, and his family and those doctors that take care of him, Father. Father, as we prepare to go out into the world, we ask that you give us the strength and the guidance and the direction that we may be the, the light of the example that you want us to be, that we may bring others to you, Father. And Father, we ask that we do these things in, in your name and we bring glory to you, Father, that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I don't know. He wasn't here this morning. Oh.